Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15 through 9, 7, called His Name Will Be Called. Okay, we're going to be in Isaiah 7, and then we're going to work our way into possibly the next two chapters. We'll see how we do. <laughs> Don't laugh. It could happen. Isaiah 7. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for the precious people that have come out tonight. Thank you that uh, there's a host of other things that we could be doing but we've been drawn here because there's nothing that's better than knowing you, Lord. Your loving kindness is better than life. Your truth and the beauty of who you are um, just is a, is a constant pull toward our hearts because we realize that it's always been the story of mankind. We've always yearned for you somewhere deep in the recesses of our hearts. You've set eternity in our hearts, Lord. And uh, we're just grateful that you brought us to yourself. And even when we were fighting you, you gave us a real sense of emptiness without you. And we're only here tonight by your grace. And we're only here because there's a faithful God that has decided to love us in the counsel of the great, awesome uh, beauty of your nature and will, Lord. So tonight we want to just come humbly before your word. We pray that you will speak to us tonight by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would bring healing, restoration, renewal, whatever's needed tonight in the hearts of your people, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we study the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament book filled with scores of prophecy, we've seen that there's some real dark places in the book one of them was found in chapter 7. And as we looked at chapter 7, we saw a king, verse 1, named Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. He was the king of Judah down there in the south. We saw that Rezin, the king of Aram, which later would be known as Syria, up to the north of Israel, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, the divided nations now, the divided uh, kingdom, I should say, the ten uh, tribes to the north and the two to the south. So you actually have Israel in the north facing off with Judah to the south. They've tried to make a deal with the king. Ahaz has not been on board. And so he has begun to look at a world empire for help called Assyria. The capital of Assyria was Nineveh. Nineveh was the place where the prophet Jonah was called to go. And Jonah went the other way as we studied the book of Jonah because the people of Nineveh, perhaps the largest city in the world at that time, were extremely evil. They were so evil that Jonah did not want them to be saved and he ran to Tarshish, tried to escape the presence of the Lord. But we know that's a futile thing to do. And God made a custom-made fish and the regurgitated prophet showed up on the seashore and preached a message of repentance. But he still wasn't happy. And God says, there's 120,000 souls 
in that city that don't know their right hand from their left hand? Isn't it right that I'd have mercy on them? But the interesting thing here, thing is, is just about maybe a half century later, this Assyrian nation would invade Israel. And it's an intriguing thing to think God called a prophet to save a group of people that he knew later would be an instrument for their own demise. But see, God sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, and he knew that there were souls that would turn to him, and they did. There was a major revival in Nineveh. But God also knew that Assyria would become an instrument of his judgment to correct his people. And there would, that would be felt in the area of Israel, and that would be felt all the way down. It would reverberate into the area of Judah to the south, the area of Jerusalem. And so here you have this king, and he's, he's nervous at what's happening and uh, his heart is stirred up, and Isaiah is sent out to meet him. And the people are wringing their hands, and the king is wringing his hands, and the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, verse 10, chapter 7, saying, ask a sign for yourself. I know the threat is looming. Here's, here's the idea. Ask a sign from the Lord. God gave him a blank check. This is where we ended up last week at the end of the study. Make it deep as shield or, shield or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And we talked about how that sounded religious. But God said, ask me and I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign that I am with you and I will deliver you. Don't look to Assyria. Don't look to man's ways. Don't be afraid of them. I will be your deliverer. But Ahaz, sounding very religious, said, I won't ask the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, 13. House of David here represents the throne of Judah, God's promise to keep someone on the throne from the house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, middle of 13, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, when we look at the uh, account of the birth narrative of Jesus in Matthew, we see that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Literally, Jesus became that. He was literally God in a body, God incarnated. 100% God, 100% man, took on the additional nature of humanity and was born there in Bethlehem. The answer was a dual prophecy. There would be a fulfillment in the immediate birth of a son of Isaiah. We'll see, we'll dig that out in a moment. And there would be a far prophecy. The near prophecy would be immediately in the birth of this child who would become a sign to the nation of God's judgment. We'll talk about that. But then there would be a secondary fulfillment of the prophecy in the future in Bethlehem where Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us. This is the covenant of our God. This is the covenant that he makes with his people. Now he, verse 15, is the first child of the prophecy. Isaiah 7, 15. His name, and we'll talk about it later, is Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Easy for me to say. He will eat curds, that's a kind of yogurt, and honey, this denotes a simple diet. Those who live off the land uh, because of invasion and domination and the devastation that happens because of war. At the time, he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. 
For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, some suggest that that's a very early age. Others say it's 12 or 13, around the idea of a bar mitzvah age. The land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. The Lord will bring on you, on your people, 17, and on your father's house such days as have never come since the days of Ephraim. Ephraim broke away from Judah almost two centuries earlier, 17, end of the verse. Separated from Judah, the king of Assyria, 18. It will come about in that day, and you're going to notice that phrase, in that day, uh, a number of times, that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the remotest parts of the, uh, part of the rivers of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle on the steep ravines, on the ledges of the cliffs and all the thorn bushes and all the watering places. In that day, 20, the Lord will shave with a razor, hired from regions beyond the Euphrates, that is, with the king of Assyria, and the head of the hair of the legs, and it will also remove the beard." The forcible shaving of a beard was considered a great insult at this time, and it was also done in times of mourning. And when it was forced on someone, it was often forced because you were in captivity, and it was a form of shame and humiliation and embarrassment. And the one behind it is God. God says, I'm going to do this because my people won't turn to me. Now we'll come about, here it is again, in that day, 21, that a man may keep alive a heifer and a pair of sheep, And it will happen that because of the abundance of the milk produced, he will eat curds. For everyone that is left within the land will eat curds and honey. There's that simple diet again. A remnant will be left. And it will come about in that day that every place where there used to be a thousand vines valued at a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. This again speaks of the destruction of things and it reminds you of the original curse. People will come there with bows and arrows, 24, because all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for the hills, which used to be cultivated with the hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place for pasturing oxen and for sheep to trample. Then the Lord said to me, 8.1, take for for yourself a large tablet or a scroll, says the NIV, and write on it in ordinary letters, Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. This appears to be the name of that boy, Emmanuel, or the first Emmanuel, which actually speaks of the judgment of God. The second uh, uh, fulfillment is Jesus himself. And I will, make, I will take to myself faithful witnesses for testimony, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jer- Jeberechiah. So I approached the prophetess, And she conceived and gave birth to a son. This is Isaiah's wife now, called a prophetess either for a couple of reasons. One, she was an actual prophetess in the land who prophesied. If she was, this would be the only case that we know of where a prophet is married to a prophetess that I know of. Or the second idea is she could be called a prophetess simply because she's married to a prophet. I'll let you dig that out a little bit more. But she conceived and gave birth to a son. Here's the first fulfillment. Then the Lord said to me, name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. See, I wasn't making that up. That actually is his name. And he is the first fulfillment of the judgment of God. 
Sometimes God comes in and judges because he knows that's what we need. It's hard to imagine that such a thing would take place. You think that there's a time when God decides that discipline is the best option for his people. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Merry Christmas from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team. We're so grateful to all of our partners who partner with Walk in Truth. Since last year, our listener partnerships have grown. Last Christmas, we let our listeners know it cost over $150,000 a year to fund this ministry. That includes radio airtime, podcasting, promotion, equipment, supplies, and one part-time staff member. At this time last year, we were excited to report listener support had reached 25% of our overall budget. The rest is funded by Living Truth Christian Fellowship Church funds. Now that has grown to 31%, and because of that, we have added Walk in Truth to three more radio stations, where more people have had a chance to hear these teachings. We could still use your help, too. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that I rarely do this, and I'm not necessarily even comfortable asking for finances, but the reality is that this program has to pay for radio airtime and what we do, and it's a blessing to partner with what you believe in, with the gospel ministry that hopefully has been a blessing to you. If that's you, would you please consider giving an end-of-the-year tax-deductible donation? Please give a one-time gift on behalf of you, your family, or business. You can help us pay for airtime for the radio station or podcast app you listen to. Visit walkintruth.com and click on Donate. That's walkintruth.com. Click Donate. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Then the Lord said to me, name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. See, I wasn't making that up. That actually is his name. And he is the first fulfillment of the judgment of God. Sometimes God comes in and judges because he knows that's what we need. It's hard to imagine that such a thing would take place. Do you think that there's a time when God decides that discipline is the best option for his people? I think so. Now, this is a more radical form because this is really a judgment. But you will see that a remnant remains, and God always has a remnant of the faithful. But unfortunately, the majority has gone the other way, and God has brought down judgment, and this child will be a sign of that. For before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, about the age of two, and you can cross-reference back to 716, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. These two groups to the north think that they're going to deal with Judah, but God says, I'm going to use Assyria to deal with them. And again, the Lord spoke to me further saying, verse 6, inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, The waters of Shiloh, that is the waters in Jerusalem that flow from the Gihon Spring to the Pool of Siloam. You can cross-reference John 19.7 there. And rejoice in Rezin and the son of Remaliah. By the way, they both died 732 B.C. So not long after this was all being prophesied. Now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters. They wouldn't drink in the first set of waters, the gentle flowing waters. Jesus talked about living water in the New Testament. And in the Hebrew mind, God is compared to water. Water is necessary for life. 
And while we in the West look at bullet point lists and we like to learn uh, lots of times in that style from the written word, in the Jewish mind or in the Hebrew mind, they use oftentimes pictures to convey truth. And one of the great pictures of God is of a flowing stream or a waterfall, not dead cisterns, not water that just sits stagnant, but God is a picture of flowing water. It best illustrates God from the standpoint of the fact that we need water to live and God brings us times of refreshing. When you go get a chance to go to Israel, if you get to do it in your lifetime, you ought to try there's a place called En Gedi, and it's in the area of the, the uh, Judean wilderness. And it's a barren place. There is the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And you can be standing looking at the caves where the actual Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and you can look off in the distance, and you will see a place called En Gedi. En Gedi was the place that David stayed when he was running from Saul, called the Strongholds of En Gedi. And it's in the middle of a desert, and all of a sudden you see this little the green patch, and there are animals in there, and there are waterfalls that run down, at least two of them in this place. And it's a, uh, it's a beautiful place in the midst of a place that is barren. It's a place of refuge and a place to find refreshment. And when you go there, if you lived in that area of wilderness, you just want to park in uh, one of those easy chairs and one of those drinks with a funny umbrella and just stay there forever, you know? Because it's a place of beauty and refreshment unexpected. But there's a world out there that's dry and needs God. And so you're, you're going to come across these Engedis, these places that the Lord invites you to. He says, come and drink. Come to me and living waters will flow into you and out of you. But the people refused. How many people refuse the living waters? I mean, all they have to do is come and drink. You can lead the horse to water, but... You can't make him drink. And it's there. Those places are there. The Lord is faithful. But they rejected those gently flowing waters of Shiloh 6. And so God says, okay, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them something different, the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. That's the area of Assyria. Even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. This is the language of the flood, and it speaks of an army coming in like a flood into the land. It will sweep on into Judah. It will reverberate even to the south. It will overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck, notice, and the spread of its wings, here now a bird is pictured like a bird of prey, will fill the breath of your land. And notice how it ends. O Emmanuel. It's almost as if God is saying, though the judgment will flow from me because my people have rejected me and chosen dead cisterns instead of living water, yet the land will remain the land of Emmanuel because God has written his name on Jerusalem forever. There's a big debate in the church today. It's called replacement theology, and there are many people who think that God has uh, replaced Israel with the church. I'm not going to argue that there's a form of a new Israel that is a true Israel, if you will, but God has not abandoned his people. He's written his name in Jerusalem forever. He's made a covenant with David. He's made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant is not based upon man's performance. It's not the law of Moses we're talking about. God made the covenant with Abraham way before that, and it was an unconditional covenant. Abraham was sleeping when God crossed through or passed through, remember the pieces of the animal, cut 
And God made the covenant while Abraham was asleep to tell us that the covenant is not conditioned on man's performance, but it's simply God's promise. It's an unconditional covenant. He will fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the meantime, we've been grafted in to the people of Emmanuel, and we have become his people as well. And so here's the response. God says, be broken. This is eight, nine, O peoples. And be shattered and give ear all remotes, remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves. If you have an English standard version, it says, strap on your armor, yet be shattered. You've been listening to His Name Will Be Called, part one on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15 through 9-7. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the Living Truth app is a great way to stay up to date with what's going on here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. There's Bible studies, family events, and of course, worship services. If you're out of the area, the Living Truth app has a lot for you too, like watching and listening to Pastor Michael's latest teachings. You can download the Living Truth app from your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, a lot of radio ministries, let's face it, this time of year will kind of swing their broadcasting towards famous uh, texts about Christmas. And this is one of them as we get into Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9, leading into the incredible uh, fourfold prophecy, his name will be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And maybe you would say, hey, when the Christmas lights go on, go up on the houses just after Thanksgiving and, you know, you start to see the stores change and the music in the stores has, you know, uh, Christmas carols. That's when I really start thinking about Jesus. But I've got to be honest in my daily activities, week by week, I don't think about him much. How, how do I make a change? Well, think about it this way. If, if you're like many people who go to church on Easter and Christmas, I think the Lord's certainly pleased that you're there. But here's, here's the question. When you, when you interact with someone twice a year, what kind of depth of relationship do you think you have? Uh, it's not going to be great. See, the people that we know the best are the people that we spend time with and invest in and uh, make a priority. How about this new year in 2022? Because I don't think that we've learned the lessons that we should learn the last couple of years. Is that you resolve, as Daniel did in Daniel chapter 1, you resolve in your heart that he will be first. I told someone recently, if you resolve in your heart that he is first, Jesus promises everything else will be taken care of. If you put him last or third or fourth on the list, Things will never be right. Put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add everything else back to you. Matthew 6, verse 33. This is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Walk in Truth. And maybe you're listening right now, and you're thinking, man, I am that person. I am that guy or that gal that can't seem to put Jesus first in my daily life. We got a lot coming out of us, at us, a lot of us. Uh, you might be a stay-at-home mom juggling a ton of stuff. Maybe you're a business person on the road, flying around, freeways, meetings, and 
it's like how how do I how do I downshift and uh, put Jesus first? You know, it's possible to be living uh, a normal everyday life in business or at home or whatever, and still have Jesus first in your heart. Uh, as you do your business, as you meet people, as you uh, just work your normal day, there's a way to order your life so that he is still first. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Michael, I'd like to know more about that. Well, here you are listening to Christian radio, and I have a feeling that you're already starting to do that. Uh, Maybe you're doing more of it than you really think. Finding time to listen to a podcast like this when you got a lot of other things that you're juggling. Maybe there's more hope for you than you think. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) But of course, we always think in terms of more, I got to do more. Well, maybe it's not about doing more. Maybe it's more about resting. Maybe it's more about uh, rejoicing in his finished work and spending time in prayer and meditating on his word a little bit more rather than trying to do, 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 if you know what I mean. Well, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Walk in Truth, and I'm so glad that you're walking through the book of Isaiah with us right here. Hey, if you'd like to partner with the program or send us a note of encouragement, we'd appreciate that deeply. We so treasure uh, those notes. Or even if you have a prayer request, you can do all of the above at walkintruth.com. Well, more on His Name Shall Be Called tomorrow. We'll see you right here. God bless you. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15 through 9-7, called, His Name Will Be Called. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.